So what are you up to these days, Dave? Uh, just really crazy busy. Uh, live ATC is, uh, you know, occupies the overwhelming majority of my time. Uh, you know that and family stuff, but uh, growing uh, our network uh, really uh, on a very rapid growth, growth path right now. And uh, got all kinds of different uh, projects going on uh, with that. So been doing that, a little bit of flying. Um, and uh, a little bit of sleeping. <laughs> a little, little bit of sleeping, right? Very little. <laughs> uh, what I think is interesting is that Live ATC started off as just a way for you to kind of get better at radio communications when you were um, getting your private pilot certificate, I believe. Uh, you can correct me where I make mistakes here, but... What's cool is it grew so much further beyond that because you just wanted to listen to you know Boston Approach or Boston Tower, uh, but then beyond that, like now that Live ATC is a thing, the the platform and the technology have have enabled you to get involved in other things that use the same sort of technology but aren't involved in aviation at all. Is that is that true? Um, sort of. It's uh, it start, It actually did start out as uh personal need or want uh but it wasn't just me it was actually a community of flight sim enthusiasts as well so i was working on my instrument rating at the time and uh i i thought i really was good at radio communication i'd been in amateur radio and i'd been in and out of you know uh playing around at radio stations and thought i was just really good at that um but when i got my private the year before i started live ATC, I sat in the cockpit and I thought it was going to be really easy. And it wasn't that easy. I really had to sit down and literally think every time I keyed the microphone or right before I keyed the microphone, uh, what I was going to say, because it didn't come naturally, even though I was very comfortable on quote unquote, the radio uh, and all that stuff. So it was really uh, eye opening for me. But uh, the flight sim community that I was working with was uh, VATSIM. And I remember I, uh, VATSIM. I, I, used to, I used to be a pilot on VATSIM for a little short time. That was fun. So I plugged in as a pilot on VATSIM, and I had, I had discovered Microsoft Flight Simulator like years earlier, just sort of peripherally at work, at lunch, uh, you know, back in the DOS days. One of my uh, colleagues in my group was – that's all he did at lunch. He brought his lunch, and he, he went and just flew Microsoft Flight Simulator, you know, on the keyboard – so I got in the flight sim, and long story short, plugged in the VAT sim as a pilot, and then I was like, wow, this is the coolest thing ever, and uh, became a controller. And uh, at the time, we had a couple of controllers who were real-world uh, FAA controllers, one of them at New York Approach, and I got a lot of my training from him. Uh, I got my eventually my Boston Center uh, checkout from him, and uh, it really was, you know, VAT sim's motto is sort of, as real as it gets and to some extent it was really really <laughs> very real uh to the point where we had uh controllers come in from the faa every year we had a land party called the boston tea party and we had boston center and boston approach controllers come in and observe the whole thing going on you know it was like a big fly-in and they were just like totally blown away and at that point we started working on tours and we took a lot of the controllers uh to those facilities and they even got to sit at the sims and anyway long story short it was just amazing but i thought you know why wouldn't i 
put this online and put these radios online so that uh, the other controllers uh, in in our VATSIM group could listen and whoever else would want to. And then it was, you know, crowdsourcing beyond that and kind of grew like crazy. Welcome to Logbook Memories, an aviation podcast about remembering and sharing our past flights. I'm David Allen, a student pilot. And I'm Michael Ladd, a private pilot. Guests on Logbook Memories look back through their pilot logbook to find a particularly interesting, adventurous, enjoyable, scary, or otherwise memorable flight. Then they come on here and share the story of that flight in their own words. Our next guest is ready to go, so let's mic him up. In this episode of Logbook Memories, we are welcoming our friend Dave Pascoe into the virtual hangar. Dave is the founder of LiveATC. He is an instrument-rated private pilot with about 1,100 hours of flying time. And Dave, thanks for joining us here on Logbook Memories. Hey, thanks for having me, Dave and Mike. Yeah, man. Um, we've been friends for a long time. I, I think you and I met for the first time probably close to 10 years ago, maybe over 10 years ago. No, I think it's That's, over 10. Yeah. I think it was over 10. Over. Sun and fun, probably. That's right. Um, man, it's uh, what a good run. So, um, <laughs> you, what, what are you flying these days? Well, for the last, uh, this year will be 14 years, I've been flying with a fantastic flying club called the New Hampshire Flying Association. And, uh, at this point, most of my hours are in a uh, A36 uh, Bonanza that the club uh, flies, and we also have a, a Piper Archer online. So, uh, but yeah, most of my most of my flying these days is in the Bonanza. I, I like a Bonanza. I've uh, one of my one of my best friends. He uh, has a share in an A36 TC, 1980 A36 TC Bonanza, and it's just uh, it's a good go places airplane, right? It really is, but I mean, it's a good all-purpose airplane. But the Archer is is just great for you know sort of some of the shorter runs around New England, which really it, once you get up in the air, you realize how small New England really is. Um, but you know, for traveling, the uh, Bonanza is just fantastic. It's well IFR equipped with redundancy, and um, you know, uh, it's it's just one of those airplanes that you know the club finally uh, has the plane just the way we want it with all the right avionics uh that we like and uh we're just flying the pants off it how hard was it was it to get to that point where you know you you, the club said here's what we want to do to this airplane and here's how we're going to spend the money on it and like what's what's that club experience like when when everybody has similar but obviously differing opinions about what goes into an airplane like that well, generally what happens is, you know, you, you purchase an airplane, and they had purchased this airplane, I think, about a year or so before I joined the club. So it was already kind of established, and it, and it had a GPS in it at that point already. It had a GNS 480. Um, and the whole process, the way it really works is it, it it's a morphing process. You know, you, you uh, reach some sort of a milestone, like, you know, something fails, or somebody gets a great idea that you know, hey, we should do this and we should go, you know, for us, one of the biggest switches was go from going primary vacuum to going primary electric. And we got an Aspen and things like that. And then you sort of look at compatibility between different pieces of avionics and you say, hey, you know, well, we could get this or we can get this and this. And and it's a progressive uh, morphing process where, you know, you can't always do it all at once. 
So in our case, uh, we did things kind of piecemeal. And then at some point, you just kind of reach a steady state where you look back and look at the uh, capability of the aircraft and the equipment and you say, hey, this is really pretty good. And you don't really understand how good it is until you go into a more bare bones aircraft and, you know, you fly it fly it around, you know, VFR or whatever, maybe, maybe uh, you know, a, a non-IFR equipped air, aircraft. And then you get back in, in your aircraft and say, wow, you know, this is really pretty good. Of course, then you can, you know, go sit in a TBM or, you know, a Pilatus or something and say, wow, we're really in the dark <laughs> ages, you know. But an F-16 or something. It's all, yeah, an F-16, <laughs> you know, and, it's, and it all ends up being relative. But uh, the club... I mean, I can't say enough good things about flying clubs, and uh, uh, flying clubs are just a great way to, you know, and, and a relatively economical way to get into maybe more aircraft than you would buy yourself or that you would even perhaps um, enter a partnership. And so, How do you like the Archer? Um, I like it a lot. I don't fly it as often as uh, as I probably should or uh, would like to, uh, but that's, that's more just a limitation of my... Uh, limitations time limitations just due to being busy but uh, i love it because i did a lot, pretty much all my training in a piper warrior so i was already really comfortable and familiar with pa 28 series and i'd flown just about every every one in the series at one point in time i enjoy taking people for flights in archer when they, the flying club i was in in chattanooga for a while had an archer they had an archer and a 182 so the 182 we take on trips and the archer we take you know for flights around the area and it was a great little airplane i loved it it's really nice. What did you like yeah. about it? Um, it was actually a little roomier than a 172, shoulder to shoulder, um, and a little bit faster. Uh, it just it was fun to fly. It really was. I was actually very upset when they opted to sell it and buy an LSA. But, yeah, I really enjoyed flying that plane. Yeah, it's, it's pretty docile uh, flight characteristics. Uh, pretty much the whole PA-28 line is kind of like that i mean the only downside when you're flying passengers around is you don't have a high wing so from a sightseeing standpoint you're you know you're doing more banking and and all that to see things but um from a from a just pure stability standpoint the uh the whole pa28 line is really docile so so how many people are you only have you only have the uh, two airplanes i assume and how many people are in your club so we have it kind of divided. So if you're if you're a member of the club, you uh, you have to have special flight experience to be able to fly the Bonanza. So not everybody has that experience or wants to fly that. So for the Piper Archer, well, we have about 15 people in terms of people, 15 that fly the Bonanza, and then some of those 15 cross over and fly both. And then there's, I think we've got about a dozen people right now on the uh, on the Archer. For the Archer, you only need 100 hours in your private. And in each plane, it, of course, you need to check out. So we have uh, uh, a couple of CFIs who do the checkouts. And uh, on the Bonanza, we actually follow the, the whole uh, P uh, syllabus uh, during the checkout. So um, that's really cool because it actually gives us the ability to sign off pilots on the insurance whereas previously uh before we had a a more structured program we had to submit every pilot's every applicant's experience to the underwriter and then have them sign it off so um so we've got a it's a good system the way we have it set up now you know we got like 25 or 30 people all together and we're you know we'd like to grow that it's it's uh we sort of you know we talk to a lot of people at air shows and different events and 
you know, we look at some of these clubs, and there's a lot of clubs that work purely on like leasebacks, but uh, we're we're sort of growing slowly, but we have a steady stream of members um, or a steady stream of applicants. Uh, so that's a good thing. And I, I think what we're seeing and what we've definitely seen in the last few years is a lot of people sort of ditching partnerships or sole ownership of airplanes because it's just too much and people don't have time and, you know, money issues. And uh, and we've seen them sort of migrate to trying to get into a club situation because it's so much better than renting if you can, if you can avoid renting. Um, but it's not for everybody. You know, we always ask people, what's your flying mission, right? That's kind of the uh, the one of the first questions. What do you What do you want to do? Why are you flying? And then we try to see if there's a match. Uh, you know, does it sync well with the with the kind of flying that the group does? How many hours? Uh, somebody anticipates they're going to fly every year and that kind of thing. Cool. So you uh, you came here to tell us a story about uh, one of your flying adventures, and I think we'd love to hear it. Yeah. So this one. Uh, Kind of goes digging, digging deep into the uh, into the well here. I've been flying for uh, this will be uh, just past 19 years of flying, so it's taken me 19 years to get to that 1,100 hours, um, which is not atypical of uh, private pilots. But anyway, going way back, I, I had been a private pilot, instrument rated, so I, I had been a pilot for I guess a year and a half, maybe two years, and. Um, I was flying at this at flying school, and they regularly had uh, aircraft that uh, they needed sort of repositioned. Um, you know, so go, you know, go get this aircraft. And one of them uh, was up in North Dakota, so this is a Boston area school. And so I had to go pick up a uh, Piper Arrow, which I had been uh, flying at the time, getting some complex experience. And uh, this was in winter, uh, so you know, dealing with winter weather. There was another aircraft that another pilot had to get at the very same uh, airport up in North Dakota, and that was a Piper Cadet. So we sort of went out there together, and the Piper Cadet was limited to day VFR only uh, because it had had a hard landing up in Washington State. So. Uh, the FISDO, in, in a case like that, they'll issue a, you know, day VFR uh, permit. So uh, I didn't really want to well, ditch. Well, go, go back. Yeah. What, yeah. They issued uh, this permit, like, as a as a ferry or something? or what? Just well, it wasn't really a, a ferry. restriction of the airplane? It wasn't really a ferry flight. It was just a restriction of, you know, this, this aircraft can fly day VFR until it's, you know, it really inspected and okay, and all, until, and all the until issues. Until it was fixed or checked out and all that stuff. Exactly. Okay, I understand. So, uh, so you know, not wanting to leave the other pilot behind, I, uh, I, I basically had to sort of limit my my own flying to to VFR, and not only that, but uh, had to fly the arrow at like fifty five percent power, so so as to you know be able to stay in radio contact and. Uh, not be too far ahead if uh, you know if I had to go back and, and the other pilot had to land. So, what was really memorable memorable about it for me was you know it was first of all the longest uh, cross country that I, I would have done to that point, but more so the the journey. It was it took a, literally a week 
to get back. We we were uh, transported out there by uh, some flight instructors who took us out in a uh, Seminole, and uh, you know that was a couple of hops to get out there. Um, but it took a full week to get back, and what was really memorable about it was just seeing uh, and flying over new states and several of them, um, you know, coming down over Minnesota and uh, down into, you know, Wisconsin and Illinois. Um, but uh, the other thing was that it was, it had been pretty windy. There was you know, a bunch of fronts going through, and, you know, obviously we were looking closely at the weather. But we decided to put down in uh, Aurora, Illinois, Aurora Airport, and one of the things that just really sticks in my mind is it was – the stiffest uh, winds that I had really flown in up to that point. I mean, we get some pretty good winds, especially in the wintertime here and the summertime. But um, I just remember coming into Aurora and being on the downwind and really getting pushed pushed down and out and, and turning base and <laughs> turning final. And I think, uh, I can't remember what the ground speed was, but it was really slow. And then uh, the next day, we kind of, stayed in Aurora that night. And then the next day, another thing that kind of stuck in my mind was just watching the Piper cadet taxi to the runway and the wind was still pretty gusty and stiff. And I saw the wind basically get under the wing of the Piper cadet and literally lift it off the ground while it was taxiing. <laughs> so oh, not something that'll get your attention, won't it? Yeah. So it got my attention, you know, pretty good. And, and I just remember, uh, departing and of course then turning downwind and then departing the area. And, uh, it was, it was a pretty fast, uh, flight out of Aurora. Um, after that, we, uh, I think we made it to, um, there were a couple of stops, um, one in Indiana and one in Ohio, but the one in Ohio, we, we were there for, I think, a couple of days because uh, weather, we, I could have filed IFR. It was, you know, uh, flyable safely, but I just said, oh, I'm going to, going to hold out and just wait till we have VFR conditions again. So, you know, something that might, might be possible to do in like a day, maybe a long day, but uh, certainly a day or a day and a half um, took a full week, which really was, I guess, my first lesson in uh, getting stuck somewhere because, you know, previous to that, it was mostly flight training. I had done some trips, but they were generally day trips because I was renting an aircraft and it's you're kind of penalized. It's not easy to go overnight in a rental aircraft because, you know, if you don't fly for a day, you're going to pay for four hours of flying time no matter whether you fly or not. So, uh, so this was, you know, there were, this whole adventure was full of lessons that would be retaught to me, uh, over and over again, over the years in flying and how you, how you kind of get stuck places and you, you know, you, you do the right thing. You make really good decisions on, uh, weather and, uh, how you're feeling and, uh, so many different things that are critical to, uh, being able to fly safely. So how many people were involved in this trip? There was two airplanes coming back, and was there just one pilot in each of those airplanes, or was it a couple of you? Yeah, two people, just one pilot in each, in each aircraft. And who was doing the, the planning for the routes you were going to take and the, when you were going to go and all that stuff? 
That was purely our discretion. You know, it was like, hey, you know, just get back safely, get back when you get back, and uh, and that's it. So it was a, it was a good way to build time. Uh, I wasn't trying to build time, but in in retrospect, it was uh, it was a good way to build time. You know, and it was on somebody else's. I mean, I didn't get paid for it. Obviously, it wasn't a you know it wasn't a commercial ferry operation, but uh, it was just like, hey, you know, go go grab this airplane and. Um, it was uh, it was neat from that perspective. Uh, I you know I would love to do that sort of thing down the road uh, once I wrap up my commercial when I when I finally get time to finish up um, to do some real ferry flights. I think would be uh, a lot of fun. But you know it's really the the journey. Um, sometimes and frequently we fly for uh, the destination, whether it be for work or for uh, you know family, uh, just a a weekend away or getting to some place that we would never drive to, uh, which is a lot of what our personal flying is. But I do fly uh, a bit uh, for live ATC-related things. This time of year, it's kind of tough. <laughs> I'm supposed to fly to uh, Greensboro uh, this coming when, uh, next Wednesday. But you know, I'm just sort of already fretting about it because I know uh, how it's really tough to get a two-day weather window over that many miles because that's about four hours flying time. Um, for for people I've already, who are listening to this later on, what what is it about this time of year? Oh, winter, winter in New England, and, and to some extent, you know, the Middle Atlantic states, just due to moisture and icing, really is the the big worry this this time of year. It, and what what have you been in a situation where you had icing before or a threat of icing? Um. A couple of times. One was uh, I was in the descent coming into uh, the Boston area, and I was coming in over Worcester, Massachusetts, and I guess I was about I was about four or five thousand feet, and started picking up some uh, trace icing. And my instructor was really good about uh, teaching me about icing. We went out into uh, some very light. Uh, I mean, almost almost imperceptible, but you can just enough to demonstrate what it looks like on the wing and so he just really beat it into me and he told me a story he told me a story about uh a flight that he had been on that uh almost ended you know badly uh that ended up in sort of unexpected icing so that's really the problem now these days uh we've always had good weather products uh you just it's a lot easier to use now with foreflight and other software uh so the information's a lot more accessible it's out there but the the unanticipated icing is the stuff that you really gotta not assume that you're not that you know you you can't assume that you're not going to get into it uh, or that it might not happen just because everything you looked at or think you looked at said that you weren't uh, you really got to be on your uh, game. So he really when you were doing your training for instrument reading, you, he actually went out and flew in ice with you or i mean it was light, but that <laughs> no just seems no a little... it was during a this was during a cross-country flight uh for the instrument and we just happened to be going through some very light misting but it was just cold enough that um that it was you know you would you could see sort of a trace on the on the wing it wasn't really called for it was it was an opportunistic thing it just sort of happened okay but um, but the other the other one where I was descending out of uh, four or five thousand, I, I asked ATC for lower. I was on an IFR flight plan, and uh, he, he gave me three thousand, and you know whatever little bit was on the wing just melted right off. But 
it definitely <laughs> definitely got me standing up a little bit um, just because I just have this, you know, like every pilot should, uh, tremendous fear of uh, getting in a situation like that and then not being able to get out. Uh, you got to have an exit plan, uh, whether it's, you know, being able to turn around or uh, being in a situation where if you think there's even a minor chance that you might get even a little bit or, or any uh, that you can you can get a lower altitude. But, you know, if there's if there's really any chance of icing realistically at any of the altitudes that I'd have to fly, I just don't fly usually. Mm-hmm. So. so on this trip um, that we started talking about with the um, with the two airplanes, the cadet and the, I think you said an archer. Or the arrow. Yeah. I'm sorry, the arrow. Um, well, now, the arrow, you were flying, was that a complex airplane, a retractable gear? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah, you're you're pulling way back to stay back with the cadet, I'm sure. Um, what was, you know, the the logistics of of getting back? You know, it was take your time, and I think that's a great plan. Uh, for somebody with the experience that you had is just, you know, I, I, I like the wisdom that the people who kind of assigned you to do this, this flight had just say, take as much time as it takes, just, you know, get the airplanes back safely. Um, but you know, are you staying in the crew quarters uh, at the FBO or are you, are you staying in hotels? If it's taking you, you know, close to a week to get back, you're, you're staying some overnights somewhere. Yeah, I mean, it was a combination of, of things. There were some times where, you know, some hours would transpire and we'd make a hop, you know, for 50, even we'd try to get, if we could get 50 or 100 miles, we would do that. Um, so sometimes you're in the FBO in the uh, in the crew quarters or the, you know, the, the pilot's room or lounge or whatever. And then uh, there were um, a couple of overnights as well. So um, it's... It's just you have to – this is one of the biggest lessons is you just have to, to wing it, and you've got to not be the kind of person who gets frustrated by uh, what end up being kind of like little setbacks. You just have to just keep chipping away at it. But um, what it really does for you is uh, really tunes you up in terms of your uh, decision-making skills and your your looking into the weather, and at that time we relied – a lot more on flight briefers. So there's a lot of phone calls to uh, weather brief to talk to the flight briefers and, hey, what about this and what about this route and that. And so you just sort of try different things. And then at some point, you know, you have to look at the whole thing and say, well, is it even worth it? If we wait maybe two hours, then we can go 300 miles, you know, and and we have a, a nice clear shot. But yeah, we very much just winging it and uh, no no real plan, but the overall thing was just making sure that there was, uh, you know, it was a safe, every flight was a safe flight. What tools did you use to plan the flight and to do some navigation? You mentioned already, uh, you know, 1-800-WX-BRIEF. What, what other kind of flight planning and navigation tools, you know, did you, I don't know if you mentioned, did you have GPS in the airplanes? I'm guessing it might've been pre-GPS. Um, how did you kind of figure out how to get from here to there and then execute on it? Well, I mean, it was, you know, your classic VFR flying, uh, you know, pilotage, <laughs> and, uh, 
and uh, flying VORs. I was I was generally doing that, and the other airplane had uh, had a nav in it, so uh, the other pilot was able to fly the same thing and and landmarks and and things like that. It really wasn't very hard. Just kind of the same same stuff that you do on your uh, on your check ride or your your training flights. Um, I was I was mainly flying VORs for guidance because uh, I could and. Uh, the other plane was at 55% power. I was more or less able to to stay reasonably close. Like we were always within, I think, 20 miles or so, 20 or 25 miles, and we had a, a discrete frequency we were using on the uh, on the radios. So we would get flight following and uh, listen on the second radio uh, for each other and just chat every now and then uh, about how things were going. Um, so. Yeah, we didn't have obviously the tools that we have today with uh, with GPS. Neither plane had a GPS. Um, today it would be trivial uh, to have an iPad and uh, to be able to just you know have that as a as a backup or even a, a primary means of sort of getting from here to there. I mean, the big thing for me would be would have been if we had had it uh, just the weather research and the flight planning tools that uh, that software tools allow. I mean, I happen to use ForeFlight. I mean, it's obviously not an advertisement for ForeFlight, but uh, it just hap- happens to be uh, what I use, and I find it to be just an incredibly usable tool uh, that's just really rich. I don't even use uh, probably 50% of what its capabilities are. There are so many features, and every time I you know, launch a new version, there's new features, but I just, I, I just use what I, I... I think about, you know, what do I need to do and... and uh, and there's always an easy way to do it, but one of these days I got to sit down and, and learn some of these more advanced tools because it might make other things, you know, easier. But it's amazing. Uh, I think anybody flying today, no matter what their mission is, uh, the whole concept of uh, safety, just overall, even just thinking about GPS just by itself, right? Um, that and the software tools and all the backups we have uh, now in aircraft, um, it's amazing. There's just there's no excuse for things like getting lost or running out of fuel or you know, all the kind of things that, unfortunately, we still see, uh, maybe to a lesser extent, in GA accidents. But uh, getting lost and you know, not knowing the weather and things like that. Those are there is no excuse for those things. I'm anymore. getting a chance to play with that this week. I'm, I'm heading down to Florida for someone's wedding. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh yeah, who's yeah. getting married? Uh, some some goofy looking guy. Some goofy lo- <laughs> goofy looking guy. He's got a goofy looking guy. Got a hot guy. fiance though. No. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> so yeah, Dave. If you didn't know, Dave was getting married this weekend. Oh, I didn't know. That. Congratulations! <laughs> That's how buried I am. I am. Uh, I am so woefully uh, out of touch with all these these things. Congratulations! So, yeah. So my Thanks. wife and I are actually flying down from Chattanooga. So tomorrow I leave, drive home to Chattanooga, and then we're taking a one seventy two down. Which in that plane, <clears throat> excuse me, the one seventy two that we're going to take down has a. Uh, they just put in a three. 65, I believe it is, a Garmin 365. That's It's basically uh, the smaller uh, GPS with ADS-B. Mm-hmm. Um, it just doesn't have the Navcom built into it, but it's got, every, oh, but yeah. it's got everything else. Yeah. And it actually has the Bluetooth that will connect to 4Flight 
So I've already got my flight plans already laid out, and then I can just push it right to the <laughs> to the GPS and the dashboard. And if yeah. they change something, or if I change something on the da- on the panel that GPS, the iPad will come up and say, "Hey, do you want to modify this this flight plan?" And it's a pretty amazing setup. And they also just put in two uh, those G five, so they replaced uh, a couple of the instruments with uh, the electronic versions, which is really neat to uh, get a chance to play with those a little bit more on the flight down. Stuff that was unimaginable 19 years ago. <laughs> Dave, man, it's, it, it really is amazing just seeing this in a 172 even. The only thing it doesn't have is an autopilot, but outside of that, um, you know, we'll survive. Your autopilot might be named Cheryl. It might be. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to make that gonna, trip in one leg? Uh, on the way down, I think I am, yes. Okay. So the plane that we're taking actually has... Uh, it's got a 160 horsepower engine instead of 150, and uh, but it also has a longer long range tanks. What's your uh, what's the duration on it? Uh, like five hours and 48 minutes or something like that. And right now wow. it's I'm scheduled to have like an 18 or not tailwind or something, and it's telling me three hours and 48 minutes or something. Well, that's nice. So you got plenty of reserves. We've got about five and a half. Uh, Wait, oh, wait a minute. No, are we four and a half? I should know this off the top On of my head. On that plane, it's five. Uh, it's about five and a half, but with, with if I'm playing with reserves, it's, you know, so it's about four hours and 45 minutes, roughly. Yeah, we're we're a little low. We're about five and a half. We usually flight plan for... nobody. Nobody's bladder or uh, butt can actually last that long. So uh, a four-hour leg is... Uh, just about all anybody could ever take, so we're we're still well under what what we can you know do in the airplane. I once flew back from Oshkosh to Melbourne, Florida, in a Beechcraft debonair, nonstop. Let me tell you what, <laughs> I almost popped. It was bad, like <laughs> seven and a half hours in this airplane or something like that. But we made it. And one, one leg. You're you're right. It it uh, the airplane has uh, more endurance than the human bladder. But oh my goodness, that was a that was a hoot. So actually, we're, we're more like four and a half. But yeah, I um, last fall I had to do or last spring I had to do a flight down to North Carolina, South Carolina, right near Charlotte, uh, North Carolina, and uh, four hours door to door. And I finally joined the. I'm going to go in the airplane club. Uh, mm-hmm. After <laughs> at that point, after eight, 18 years of flying, I I just had never had to do it, and uh, had the bags and all that stuff, and I just really had to go. <laughs> <laughs> when you got to go, you got to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Charlotte, I guess, is right there by the uh, North Carolina South Carolina border. Mm-hmm. I see. So. Yeah, yeah. Charlotte executive uh, decided not to fly into the big airport. It, uh, it's just a lot of traffic there, and no real need to to go there. There's a perfectly good smaller airport, uh, even a little bit closer to where I had to be. Well, take you forever to get out of there, though. Uh, yeah, exactly. Out of, out of Charlotte, that, that was the thing. Is I I was trying to do that trip in one day, uh, four hours down, go pick up something that down there i had to get some uh, electronic test equipment and then uh, fly back well i didn't make it all the way back it was uh just uh, mainly due to being uh kind of tired along the way and i decided to put down in maryland and um stayed there the night and then went back the next morning hmm, cool 
One of, one of my favorite trips was a trip we made from uh, from Melbourne to Columbia, South Carolina, and back in, in a day uh, in a Piper Arrow. And like we we flew up first thing in the morning, watched the sunrise in the air, and three hours up, uh, 2.9 hours back, um, and we had a presentation that we did in Columbia while we were there. And it just really showcased the the value of GA. When it, when it goes right, it goes really right. Like um, It was super, super cool to be able to go up there and back and not have to fly the airlines, not have to stay overnight because we flew the airlines, be able to go up there and back when we wanted. It just, it just worked, and it was awesome. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Um, so the, the, the trip you took, um, you know, what was, what was probably the most stressful part of this multi-day, you know, week-long trip? What was the part that made you, if there was a part at all, that just kind of made you go like, really, I, I didn't, I didn't want to deal with this or I, I, I didn't expect this or. You should have done that. You know, yeah. Um, I can't think of anything that I would have really done differently i think largely because um at the time i don't i just think i just didn't know better uh at that point i had had very little uh, long cross-country experience or even you know planning something that might span multiple days you know a lot of the trips are day trips you know so a day trip is very easy to deal with because you know you're just everything's bounded by like the day and it's either you can either do it or you can't but I think one of the things that really stands out was just not having a lot of that information easily accessible uh, regarding weather way down the pike. You know, you at some point have to stop for fuel. At some point you have to stop maybe for weather uh, or impending weather coming. And we were using ATC a lot uh, for some of that. But, you know, we never flew uh, into, obviously, into any weather of, of any consequence. So... Uh, we were always we always had a flight path sort of around it or nowhere near it. It was just that ceilings more than anything uh, kind of hampered us. And uh, I guess the thing that was a little frustrating for me is I really wanted to get more real IMC time, <laughs> and, and so I I would love to have I guess you know gone back completely IFR and just kind of bombed back in a day or two, but just the whole situation just kind of didn't allow it because of the other aircraft. But so I was looking forward. <laughs> yeah, he would have left him high and dry. <laughs> yeah. I was looking forward to that uh, more than, more than anything. Um, but you know, in a way I think doing that, especially over a long distance like that, it would have been nice to have a co-pilot in my aircraft to, to really do that. And that's one of the things too, I, I guess I'd mentioned about the flying club is that we have people who regularly just are kind of around and who like to go on, different missions and you know fly along with people i do some volunteer flying for uh pals which is patient airlift services and also for angel flight new england and uh it's almost never the case that i can't get somebody from the club to uh to come along on those missions to help out with uh with the patient and uh and just everything else and just be there for safety so whenever you could fly with another uh with another pilot, it's a good thing. So if you were assigned this same flight, and let's just say everything else is exactly the same, the same airplanes, the same destinations, the only difference is today you know what you know, 
what would you what would you do differently if you were to attempt this particular mission again today with 1100 hours under your belt uh would you do it exactly the same way you did it before or would you would you change anything um i'd probably well there's a couple things that that come to mind um one is just being able to get better forecasted weather uh, i would look and say what what's the best window look like assuming there were no other time constraints in terms of you know when to pick up the aircraft and so forth um, I would I would try to find sort of that optimal window for out and back, so that there was a high chance of not having weather issues. So that's one thing. And then you know the other thing again, it comes back to the uh, just having the information uh, available. Just having the software and the iPad available really makes a lot of the in route stuff uh, so much easier. Like you know, oh, should we stop at this airport or that airport? You know, we were going into places that we sort of assumed that there was probably an FBO, but the facilities would vary, you know, and sometimes some of them would close uh, and they weren't open late. Uh, and you don't, we didn't really know that, you know, we had very little access to that information uh, aside from, you know, thinking, oh, well, maybe we'll stop here. But if you have to st- make an impromptu stop, then it's, you're just sort of hoping that it'll work out. <laughs> So, uh, so again, you know, information at your fingertips and being able to make decisions based on having that great information at your fingertips is huge. Long trips in an airplane like you've just described, obviously you had a particular mission that was retrieve the aircraft and bring it home, but long trips like that just fascinate me. I, I am, you know, I'm still a pre-solo private pilot, uh, student, student pilot, but man, I, I want to get in an airplane with, um, you know, with my, my, she's fiance now, but my wife, you know, and load up some bags and be like, we'll be back in two weeks. And we're, we're going to go to, you know, Washington state or something and just fly across the country and, and do cool adventures. And, And like you said earlier, you know, an airplane allows you to go places that you would just never choose to go in a car, but having an airplane gives you the access to, you know, this makes sense. I'll go do this because I can do it in a day or I can do it in a much shorter amount of time. That kind of thing just makes me giddy. Like I want to do that. Uh, Yeah. I think that's one of the greatest things. Uh, When you make the case for general aviation, there's so many different things uh, that span, you know, personal use and business use and things like that. But so many places, I mean, I, uh, my logbook, is littered with uh, a bunch of those uh, kinds of places that, you know, even some just right here in New England, we have Martha's Vineyard Island and uh, Nantucket Island that are, you know, one is about 45 or 50 minutes away and the other one's just over an hour away. But to get there by car and ferry uh, would take like four to five hours, you know, one way um, when you count the ferry time and the waiting time. And it's just not something we would normally do i mean they're great places don't get me wrong but when push comes to shove and you know your time is limited you might not choose to go there if you had a god forbid it's a long weekend oh yeah i mean it was just i mean that's like forget it there's just no way but flying you just sort of you know you pop in uh you know there's always usually parking and uh do your thing go have your meal take a walk uh, go to the beach whatever it is and then you're home in an hour. It's, uh, you know, it's nothing short of amazing, and it's a real 
it's a real gift. I think one of the things that uh, private pilots uh, or just everybody in aviation here doesn't always realize unless they've been exposed to it is just how very lucky we are with the system that we have and the freedoms that we have. Mm-hmm. I was talking to a pilot in France uh, last week who's a flight instructor and a commercial airline pilot, and uh, it GA in, in Europe is like getting to the point where it's almost impossible. Uh, there's so many restrictions, and, uh, and it's so expensive, mm-hmm. uh, not just due to fuel costs, but also, you know, uh, ATC fees. fees and stuff like that. And he was telling me he's in he's in Paris, but he said uh, I might get this wrong, but somewhere basically nearby the airspace is such that you're not very far out of Paris, and they've got the airspace structured so you're you're in class alpha airspace, like almost immediately or something, you know, very close. Hmm. So he said, you know, it was bad, but getting worse. And uh, so we, we have it, you know, only a point of that whole thing was that we have it good here, uh, no matter what things seem like sometimes. I agree. And I love those trips where you don't even realize if when, once you're a pilot and you start making these trips, it's, yeah, you're right. You don't realize how good you do have it. Yeah, it's, it's, but it's fun. Uh, and I, I, I'm with you, Dave. I I regularly dream. You know what are the kind of flights that I dream about are are uh, you know I'd love to do uh, a, an Atlantic crossing uh, someday, um, and that that would tie into the the ferry flying stuff. Um, that's just always I'm, I sit there and look at North Atlantic charts and um, listen into a lot of the uh, uh, ATC that happens over HF radio. What less and less of it's happening there now because of satellites but it's just like i just have always had that as sort of one of my dream flights uh but also just crossing the country like you said um and just being able to have the time and and just poke through the country at your own rate uh it's definitely high on my list it's it's unbelievable the things that the world that is opened up to you when you are a pilot. Like I can, I could literally be in the Bahamas in an hour and I could have dinner in the Bahamas and be home in time for bed. Like it's, it, it, I could do that. And I don't, I don't think I would because I'd probably want to stay overnight, you know, and watch the sunrise over the ocean. But it, the ability to do that is just blows my mind. I can be in Key West in two hours or I can drive there in about eight. It's just, it's amazing yeah. the differences just because you have uh, access to an airplane. Um, so, yeah, very cool. Um, I really appreciate you sharing that story with us. What uh, what are the adventures, like if you had one dream flight, you know, you mentioned flying the across the Atlantic. If you had one dream flight you really wanted to make in the Bonanza that your club has, what what is the top dream? Uh, flight that you just got to take in that bonanza well i think i mean the the only realistic one that that pops up to the top of my list is just to fly it uh coast to coast and and back uh so that's that's always been uh, you know way up there and just hit hit some of the uh touristy places along the way that uh, that we haven't been to uh, haven't seen mount rushmore i mean there's a whole bunch of places whole bunch a whole bunch of destinations here in the country yeah. that, what a that neat we haven't flight done. That would be the fly around. Yeah, it. So, yeah, it would be it would be pretty cool. I so that that 
yeah, the coast to coast thing is uh, it will happen at some point. But um, with uh, as many people as we have in the club, it's kind of kind of tough. It's still doable though. Um, you know, we can take the aircraft for a week or more. Um, it's just there's limitations certain times a year. But yeah, that's that's definitely one of them. And I, I would say, you know, you were talking about going to the, you know, destinations and and all that. I would say that there's something beyond the, these destinations and it's really the people that you run into uh and not yes. just flying around to the destinations but just through aviation events like air shows i mean it's how we met right uh right. and there's so many cool people that are uh involved in aviation even if they're they're not pilots they're involved in some aspect of the, the whole community and it's it's just the nicest group of people that you could ever meet anywhere you know, it's funny. We were talking over the weekend. You know, there's a couple of airports in the area here around Louisville, and one on the north side in Indiana and one on the south side. But I just happened to go by this airport that's just outside Louisville, Bowman Field. And I forget the identifier, but um, nice little field, about three or four flight schools, uh, flying clubs, air charter services, all kinds of stuff. Nice, big, robust airport. And I was just kind of looking to see what flight schools were there and what they had to offer as far as cost and rent and planes and this and that. And uh, I right up, walk right up to a gate that says, it's open, come on in, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was kind of cool. So I walked in and I just kind of looked through the hangar and, um, you know, nobody said anything uh, besides, are you looking for a specific plane or, you know, you're looking for anybody in particular. I said, no, I'm just kind of looking. They said, okay, fine. There was a neat little Sonics that was out there. Uh, somebody had painted, thought, thought of our good friend, Larry. Uh, but uh saw these people walking out of a room, out of a door, and they all had coffee in their hands. And I'm like, oh, that must be a place to get coffee. And it was about, you know, 9.30, 10 in the morning. So I walk in that door, and it turns out it was the back door to the FBO. And there was about five or six guys sitting around a table and they all just invited me to come sit with them. And I said, as long as the coffee's still good. And they got, <laughs> they got me a cup of coffee and sat down and we uh, told a bunch of lies about flying for a good half hour, 45 minutes. That's so awesome. It was just really neat to be able to see that and to be able to experience that, which I haven't really done in a long time. I mean, you know, where I fly out of is a flying school and it's pretty active. So I see the instructors there and some of the students I've met there and the owners there and, but it's not like you just walk in and they just invite you to sit down and talk to them at a table. Somebody that they've never met before. It's kind of neat. It's really neat. Well, Dave, if you ever do make this cross, you know, coast to coast to coast flight in the uh, Bonanza and you need somebody to, you know, take up space in the right seat, uh, I, I will bring my cameras and we can document this adventure. <laughs> and if you need somebody to catch up to you in a camp, I'll do that. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, I would. Uh, I would love to do that, Dave. I. Uh, I still uh, have not mastered the uh, camera thing like like you guys have. I. Uh, I have some old GoPros that are probably over ten years old, and I had every intention of making a bunch of those videos and and all that. But one of these days, I'm going to refresh my uh, camera stash and. Uh, and learn how to really edit video because it's it's just I, I realize how much work it is it's a lot mm -hmm. it's amazing the stuff you produce it's brutal but man i tell you what it's fun when you can put that out there and the and you know just engage with the with the greater audience it's i it's a, it's very rewarding and i enjoy doing it so it's a lot of fun 
treasure trove. Uh, the that was the only other last thing I was going to mention that you keep making me think of things is the uh, the the sheer number of those kinds of uh, videos that are on YouTube of flying adventures and oh gosh yeah. and flight training things and I mean that was another thing that obviously we didn't have uh, back when I first started out. So like that to me is a, an amazing learning tool to kind of augment regular flight training and other stuff. It's just incredible. I'll tell you what, just editing my own videos, I see stuff. Like I, I, when I'm watching and I'm listening to my flight instructor, Derek, and he's saying, do this, do this, do this. Don't do that. Do that. Don't do that. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I get it. I get it. But then when I go back and I edit the video and I'm looking at it from 10 angles and I'm saying, oh, now I see what he was seeing. Now I see why he said that. That's why why we bounced four times. That's a big deal. Yeah, exactly. Right. right. I didn't actually flare. No, it was, it's very cool tool for me to go back and see. And so that's why I don't mind showing all of my mistakes because somebody else is going to need to see that too at some point. Yeah. Well, cool, Dave. Thanks so much for taking a few minutes to talk to us today on this show. Um, you, as we mentioned at the top, the you're the founder of Live ATC. And for, for those of you who have been living under a rock for the last 15 years and don't know what Live ATC is, uh, it's, it's air traffic control facilities from all over the world that are streamed live out to the Internet, and you can get them and listen to them for free uh, by just opening up a web browser. Uh, if you have a, happen to have a mobile phone, there are apps for Android and iPhone uh, where you can uh, uh, put into your favorites, actually, your favorite live ATC or air traffic control facilities. And these range from everything from small uncontrolled airfields to uh, Atlanta approach <laughs> and all the uh, stuff that goes involved Which with takes that. takes up so, about four frequencies. That's right. Um, <laughs> but here's my question, Dave. Uh, what's next for Live ATC? If, if there's anything you can tell us, uh, are you looking to do any kind of new advancements with the technology or is there anything else coming on the horizon that maybe we don't know about? And we won't tell anybody um, if it's a secret. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll make sure that no one knows about it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's there's nothing uh revolutionary coming along. There's uh continued uh development on uh making it a lot easier to add frequencies, to add locations, uh and just a massive amount of work going on to uh, to grow the network so to add the uh, airports that are out there, you know, so coming to an airport near you. Uh so there's a lot of that going on. Um further work on uh, making the uh, the archives more useful for people uh, and more accessible in the apps uh, that'll be coming up uh, this year and uh, and some other stuff there may be a few surprises as well Dave I gotta tell you I can't tell you how many times just recently just you know within the past year uh, that I keep seeing brought to you by or you know courtesy of liveatc.net on a news feed yeah we there's a lot of use by the media uh, we do a lot of work that that you wouldn't necessarily see um, uh, with the NTSB and uh, with other you know, agencies uh, investigating accidents, things like that. Um, there's also a lot of uh, technology work that goes on on the back end uh, that uses a lot of these recordings. Uh, some of it for things like uh, speech to text development, algorithm development, and really? 
even even to the point of uh, research projects that involve uh, coming up with new airspace definitions around Class Bravo airspace, and we've done all kinds of projects. Uh, some of them, like go, you know, why, why did go arounds happen? Because uh, the only way to really know is to go back and listen to the transmission between the uh, pilot and the tower controller, because the tower controllers, you know. They, they have to record every go-around, but they don't necessarily record the reason. It's a date and time. It happened. But you have to listen to the radio conversation when they ask for the reason for the go-around. So, so anyway, a whole bunch of uh, you know, interesting commercial work that goes on. Um, and uh, some, you just never know <laughs> where this stuff's going to be used. Yeah. It's got to be kind of eye-opening just to <laughs> all of a sudden somebody calls you up and said, hey, we have this project we want to do. Yeah, and we, we have a, a, a number of uh, larger streaming systems that we maintain at, at some large airports around the country, so that that's a part of it, uh, part of our commercial work that um, is ongoing and, and growing, so um, keeps me very busy. <laughs> well, cool. H- how can people get involved with Live ATC? Uh, virtually all of the uh, receiving stations are you know hosted privately uh and you know shared internet access so um how can people you know get involved in helping out live atc putting in feeds with their local area uh start at liveatc.net uh there's a contact liveatc.net link on the left left hand side just uh fill out that form uh and that gets you in contact with us and then uh and we work to figure out, you know, if you're close, say you're, uh, you know, within 10 miles of an airport and uh, it's not on our network, uh, definitely reach out. And uh, we have uh, loaner equipment and we make it pretty easy for people to, to get set up to, uh, to help out. And we try to make it as low cost as possible. Cool. Well, Dave, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today. That was, uh, was a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, catch well, thanks. Too. Yeah, it was always Absolutely. wonderful talking with you, Dave. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Very cool. Um, well, that's it for this episode of of uh, Logbook Memories. You know, I did want to say, Mike, that we've got a lot of people who have um, given us uh, some pretty cool reviews uh, yeah. on on iTunes. I don't know if you've read it. Have you read any I've of those? I've gone through a few of them. Yeah, they're actually. It's been a couple. It's been about two weeks since I've been out there. But yeah, it's there's some great ones. Yeah, it's very cool. Those of you who have taken the time to write us, uh, give us a five star review. Like, I just want to say thanks so much because that's um, very, very cool. Means uh, a lot. We, we, it means a lot to us, and it really helps us out. Um, you know, some of the people who have said things just it. It's very it 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 means it's huge. Like one person um, just called it uh the, the, it's just an engaging and novel approach to telling stories differently in the aviation category uh that was written by auto patch hey thanks so much for that um our friend kevin streeter said uh, just great podcast looking forward to the next episode mm-hmm. so we're going to try to keep giving those out there uh, our friend ken he posted flying is always better when it's shared and that is exactly what we want to do here so thanks for taking some time to rate our show uh, and give us a give us a little review on on log uh, on iTunes. That means a huge amount to us, and it really does help us out. Definitely, definitely. I think that's it for today. Yeah, I think so. I think that. Do you have do anything us. else? No, I'm good. How about you, Dave? I'm good. Hey, thanks, guys. Hey, thanks so thanks much. Thanks, Radar. Ta- that's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. 
Uh, we will catch you guys on the next episode of Logbook Memories. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Someone's getting hitched. That's me. That's awesome, Dave. Congratulations again. Thanks so much for listening to Logbook Memories. If you'd like to share a memory from your logbook, drop us an email to stories at logbookmemories.com. That's stories at logbookmemories.com. And since we are just starting out, it would mean the world to us if you left a five-star rating on iTunes. And if you really want to help us out, maybe write a short review telling the world how awesome we are. Don't forget to share us with your friends. We'll catch you on the next episode of Logbook Memories. Cool. Where can people get involved uh, with Live ATC? I know that you have, you know, all. <laughs> Careful, Dave. Yeah, yeah right there. <laughs> yeah, drop something here. We we know. <laughs> yeah. We, we, Sorry about that. That's okay. Hopefully, you can edit. I think That's you can right. edit. Yes, Meh, we can. Maybe not. Everything is a post production. <laughs>